rumors are true that Amazon will see a successful product on their platform and say, oh, we can make some money on that and create an Amazon basic version of it. What they did in this case was copy our bag stitch for stitch. It looks exactly the same. Even down to the point like a design element is just this little Hypalon patch where we put our logo. They kept that patch the exact same shape and the exact same location on the bag and wrote Amazon instead of Peak Design on it. So we've seen knockoffs before, but we were like, this is egregious. This is crazy. Taking a company from 1 million to 100 million is no easy feat, especially when you have competition and copycats coming at you from all angles. But Peak Design has fought off all those knockoffs, including a pretty blatant ripoff from Amazon Basics. But the upside to it, they did it with humor and panache in a way which has only endeared the company more to its loyal customer base. And side note, you should check out their awesome YouTube video showing the ripoff. It was hilarious. It gave me a good belly laugh. And those loyal customers are what took Peak Design from a simple camera utility bag company and turned it into a popular everyday bag and accessories outfitter for photography enthusiasts. Peak Design leaned into the idea of having a close relationship with its customers from the very beginning by letting their customers have a say in their product line by way of crowdfunding and Kickstarter campaigns. And that, according to Alish Patel, the VP of Growth and Digital at Peak Design, has made all the difference. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Alish explains how building that loyal customer base has helped the company stave off the blatant and more subtle competitors. And Alish talks about how Peak Design is using unique marketing and content strategies to take people from browsing to actually buying. Enjoy this episode. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Welcome everyone to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org. Today on the show, we have Alish Patel, who currently serves as a VP of Digital and Growth Strategy at Peak Design. Alish, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to catch you before you journey into the Redwoods to get some content for your company. And I was hoping we can kind of just dive right into Peak Design because your story is super Mm -hmm. fascinating. Uh, Right before this, you were talking about how when you came in, it was like a sub $1 million company. Now it's at almost a hundred million. Uh, we definitely had a pause in that. We, you know, we did somewhere around seventy last year, and we're we're hoping to grow to that hundred soon. So yeah, we're we're coming right up against it. Okay, I mean that's an amazing story. That's why I was like, we need to start there. I don't want to run out of time. Yeah. 
So can you tell me a bit about what is Peak Design and how long have you been there and a little bit about that journey? Yeah, I've been with Peak Design for about six and a half years. I met Peter Deering, our founder and CEO, in a bar in Berkeley nice. after a concert. We just sort of hit it off. So what it was concert? one of those. Uh, it was an Alt J concert at okay. the at the at the Berkeley Greek. Um, so it was one of those like classic, I don't know, Silicon Valley chance meetings. And um, I was doing marketing consulting in the Bay Area at the time, and he needed a little bit of help on the digital side. So a little bit about Peak Design, Peter Deering had this idea of a camera accessory basically to hold your camera on the outside of your body, usually on a backpack strap or your belt, uh, while you're doing some more strenuous activities, whether you're hiking, biking, stuff like that. So you could get to your camera easily instead of it being, you know, tucked inside your bag and you you would miss that shot, as we say. So he got lucky, if you will, the, the, the universe aligned in that that was the early days in 2010 of Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And he was just going to, you know, find someone to make it and try to get it in stores. But someone was like, hey, why don't you do a Kickstarter? Put on Kickstarter. Some people uh, found it, wrote a story on it. I think it was in in Gadget or something like that. It blew up. He did 300 something thousand dollars on Kickstarter. That year, it was something like the third biggest Kickstarter. Again, early days of Kickstarter. There's mm -hmm. now crazy ones. And that was the birth of Peak Design. From there, kind of deepened into the the Kickstarter and product of photography, photography product world, and uh, we became one of the first companies to do a second Kickstarter. So that's how we started just launching products on Kickstarter. And what we found with that is Kickstarter just has this fanatic base who became our evangelists, mm -hmm. and we created this really one-on-one -on -one relationship with our customers that felt and do have a say in the design of our products and they feel they feel invested in our brand and we continue to do that. In fact, we've done 10 Kickstarters to this point. We've raised over $37 million on, on the platform, fully crowdfunded, which means we've never taken investors and we get to make decisions like being a part of 1% for the planet. We founded a uh, climate neutral nonprofit to help companies become uh, to offset their carbon, we we basically chart our own path. And mm -hmm. that allows us also to make the best things. We don't cut corners on any of our products. So, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. We haven't had too many companies on the show that, you know, went the Kickstarter route. I think I can only think of like one or two. What mm -hmm. were some of the lessons maybe when you launched the first time to the second to the 20th time that maybe things that you started adjusting over time? So some of the biggest things we adjusted were... They, they came with just the, the changes in the world of marketing, right? With the rise of social media and in the last few campaigns, the influencer became so much more part of our campaign, especially the last two YouTube, you know, we, there was Facebook, then there was Instagram and then YouTube has been around for a long time, but then we layered on YouTube specific influencers and that's its whole other own community, especially in the photography world. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, relearning that YouTube in and of itself is uh, a great um, search engine, engine place where you can put evergreen content. There's one piece of influencer content that I have up on YouTube that I placed two years ago that still brings in five grand a month. Wow. Okay. What's this content? Well, we sponsored a video for basically your, uh, someone and we were pretty adamant to make sure that if you're going to, if you're going to review our product and you want to leave a positive review. We're not just like forcing people to do that. We like mm -hmm. give them the product. They love it. They're like, I love this. I want to talk about it. 
And usually for the bigger influencers, they're like, uh, oh, I love this product. I want to put it up. It usually costs like 30 grand, mm-hmm. this or that. So we did that. It, it got up on YouTube. I don't want to say the name just to blow up his spot or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but put it up there, did a great review of it, kind of talked about the pluses and minuses, linked to the campaign below um, in the comments. And that video, which because it did so well, they keep on their page and still draws traffic when you're, especially if the, the campaign was for our, our peak design tripod, our travel tripod. And so when you type into YouTube, you know, tripod, especially people are searching for like how to use a tripod, this and that. It's one of the top things that comes up. Mm-hmm. And so people will go watch that video and, oh, this is a cool tripod. They'll click the link and it's, it, it still brings in a lot of traffic and a lot of revenue. That's Yeah, that's really cool. Are you still using Kickstarter today? We just did our last Kickstarter in December. Um, we did it for our new mobile line of products. We kind of went from photography thinking that this iPhone is literally the best camera that everyone carries around on a daily basis. So we wanted to create a line of products for that. So we did that in December and that was our last one. Are we going to continue to do Kickstarters? Uh, probably, but you know, there's, we've done 10 of them and it's got to end someday. Maybe. I don't know. We'll Why? See. That's what I'm wondering. I'm like, man, it sounds <laughs> like it's like going so well. I haven't heard of enough brands probably utilizing that, but it does feel like maybe that market is pretty saturated and, yeah, it just seems like there's a lot on there when you go and start looking through products that are launching and what you can fund. It just feels like a lot more than, you know, maybe when you guys started out. Well, it's also, you know, we were part of this this cohort that proved the model. Mm-hmm. And then now it's easier than ever to go and make and design a product in China or Vietnam, wherever you're producing. In fact, there's, you know, those full factory cities where you show up with an idea and they'll mm-hmm. help you make it. And that also feeds into the system. So like, it's the problem with knockoffs in our brand as well. Like people are copying our stuff. You just go there and that's, that's the other part that's saturated Kickstarter and uh, Indiegogo are these kind of half thought out brandless products. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's kind of easy to get lost in the, in the fray there as well. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about knockoffs that you just mentioned, because right before the interview, I was watching a very fun video that you guys put together because of Amazon knocking off your bag. And mm-hmm. I was hoping you can kind of touch on the inspiration behind that and you know how you think to approach companies who are knocking off your product. Yeah, um, it's, it's a funny story, obviously. So the backstory is that we make this bag called the Everyday Sling. It's literally, that's the name. We have a TM on the, the term Everyday Sling. And we do sell on Amazon. Before the pandemic, we had a large amount of, uh, of our direct revenue on Amazon. And rumors are true that Amazon will see a successful product on their platform and say, oh, we can make uh, some money on that and create an Amazon basic version of it. What they mm-hmm. did in this case was copy our bag stitch for stitch. It looks exactly the same, even down to the point like we, uh, a design element is just this little hypalon patch where we put our logo they kept mm-hmm. that patch the exact same shape and the exact same location on the bag and wrote amazon instead of peak design on it so we've seen knockoffs before but we were like this is egregious this is crazy and i guess internally i'm lucky enough you know we've never been a brand that kind of 
does the patent trolling thing or, or anything like that. We're, we're sort of, we build our own moat as far as around our design process. It actually is extremely expensive to make our products because of how functional and quality they are. And that's part yeah. of our own moat as well, built into the brand. But because this looks so much like it, we're like, this is insane. It's actually a far cheaper, like low quality product. They, uh, our bag went for a hundred dollars. They put it on there for $20. And wow. um, yeah, and they called it the Amazon Basics Everyday Sling. They didn't even change the name, which was insane. They called it the. I mean, Everyday why? Sling. There's already a good name. Might as well just jack that too. <laughs> exactly. So we just, you know, I work with uh, our marketing team. We're we're kind of all jokesters here, and Adam Saracino, our head of marketing, has gotten really adept at writing our our scripts for videos. And he wrote the script for this video and just came up with the idea. And we've got an in-house video team and we're recording it. And we had this plan, you know, we're going to make that video, put it on YouTube. We'll send it an email. We put it up, we sent it out and it caught fire on some forums, just started making its rounds. Um, before we knew it, we had something like a half a million views. And then that took off even more. I think the video has over 4 million views at this point. But the idea was like, are we going to sue Amazon? Like we, we're, we're a fly to them. What, what can we do? We can trust that our customers can like laugh at this along with us and we can poke a little fun at them. That's all we can do. And that's what yeah. we did and kind of like point out. And if you watch the video, we, we sort of point out that you have a choice when you buy stuff. So you can buy our stuff where we're blue sign verified. We're now fair trade. Um, we pay our factories workers far above the the local wages in their in their local. We produce in Vietnam. We're very honest about that. We offset all of our carbon, and we lifetime warranty everything. It's going to last you forever. If it doesn't, we'll replace it. Amazon, mm-hmm. you get what you pay for. Like that's yeah. that's our message. So that's just yeah. It's it's easy to go to get frustrated, but I think it's probably better for your brand just looking at the long term. Just Stick to your guns, trust your brand, trust your product. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I loved about the video because it was so masterfully done. Mm -hmm. And it's always a good reminder of why, you know, like you said, frustration, anger probably won't connect with many people because a lot of times, I mean, I think anyways, people want to see funny stuff, happy stuff. Yeah. And the video was perfect where it's like, oh, if you don't care about all the bells and whistles, like all the stuff you just named, you know, paying people up market. It was just so well done, especially when they were, drawing it out, like drawing out the product and being like, oh, do we want something that's actually, you know, good quality now yeah. take that out and take that out. And exactly. it was just really well done. And I'm not surprised it took off. Yeah. What, what else helped get it in front of people to really help spread it? It was mostly word of mouth. We definitely put a, a few advertising dollars behind it. When it, when it took off, we amplified it um, just because mm-hmm. it was resonating for with so many people. And I think that's important. Like especially in digital marketing, you're testing content all the time. You're like, is this working? Is that working? This was obviously working. I didn't need to test it against anything mm-hmm. else. So yeah, we put some ad dollars behind it to, uh, on Facebook um, to kind of yep. get it out there as well. But after we had about a half million views on it. Yeah. I also saw you tagging like Jeff Bezos and the Amazon support team and all these other people. I'm like, oh, that's good. But also once again, the way you were doing it was just funny. Like I can't yeah. remember the Twitter copy of what you guys were saying, but so that it was, was really funny. That was Joe Calendar on our team. And he's, he was like, he, I remember him messaging Adam and I going like, Hey, um, I, I'm, I'm 
I'm writing this, these tweets back to these people. I'm putting this, like, it's a little, it's a little edgy. Is that okay? We're just like, dude, gloves off, man, go for it. And he, he really went for it. And I think it turned out really well. I like a lot yeah. of the YouTube comments because like, there are definitely mm. some people in the YouTube's got the worst trolls. I think YouTube, mm -hmm. uh, there, there's definitely a few people like, eh, why am I going to spend a hundred? And I'll just, I'll just get this $20 one. And he would just write something like, we love that for you. <laughs> You know, oh, that's great. It, it kind of reminds me of like Morning Brew. I don't know if you've ever seen mm -hmm. them like respond to people or like Wendy's. Yes. Best Twitter channel where they like reply to people and kind of have it out with them. And yeah. I'm like, I love it because they stay so close to their brand and their voice and yeah. keep it funny. So go to, yeah. Yeah. Hats off to your team for knowing how to keep it on brand and keep it engaging for people. Yeah. When Amazon came out with the knockoff product, and I think you said you've had other companies as well knock off your product. Mm -hmm. What kind of result did you see on sales? Like, did you see a direct impact right when they came out of like, oh, shoot, our, you know, daily revenue just went down like in half. And now we need to figure out how to like claw our way back in front of our customers. Uh, luckily, the Amazon thing made people buy our bag more. Um, yeah. I'm sure it lifted their sales as well, because we just got like so much hoopla and it got a lot of press attention. Pete, our CEO mm -hmm. was like, you know, doing the rounds on, on a bunch of the media channels. On the other ones, we, we really didn't notice. And if anything, it, it riled up our our customer base because they would see it and you'd be like, this is just like my peak design bag and this is just like this. And it, they their their claws would come out and they'd go after it. And that's that's definitely I attribute that to you know our Kickstarter base and how we formed as a company of like we created this this sort of like place where people thought they were part of the brand. And so like mm -hmm. they'll, they'll step out to defend it as well. Yep. Oftentimes I don't see brands maybe highlighting all their differences. That's why I loved your video when you're mm -hmm. like, here's the five or six things that we do that you'll never find with an Amazon basic. Did you guys maybe change your strategy or how you were messaging that? Because maybe before you weren't as upfront about like, yeah, here's why you should buy with us. I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. That's we definitely started steering away from it because Early on in our brand, we certainly did that. When we started making camera straps, we were like, this is how the other people work. This is how mm -hmm. ours works. And then we were just like, ah, maybe the product can just stand on its own. And it did because the functionality of our product was so different for so long. But again, that was a unique scenario where our product was absolutely different than the competitors. And now the competitor is copying our product. So now, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're kind of forced to be like, ah, they copied it, but not very well. So it's almost like we need to kind of inform our consumer of the pitfalls of trying to buy something that's similar to ours, but probably fails on quality and functionality. So they're kind of getting mm -hmm. duped by getting these cheaper made knockoffs. Yeah. 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 It's definitely important to come back to the roots of like, yeah. you have to defend your ground and you might lose sight of that for a bit, but. Yeah, it's interesting to hear how it kind of comes full circle of like, okay, lean back into our differences. So the one thing I wanted to kind of circle back to was um, going through like what it looked like when you joined the company, mm -hmm. when it was sub 1 million, and then yeah. where it's at now, close to 100. And talking about, like, I know we were just talking about earlier how you're going to go into the Redwood Forest, mm -hmm. you're going to be creating your own content and thinking through your marketing tech stack. And I want to kind of hear what that evolution has looked like, because I think you mentioned that the team didn't scale up with that revenue as much as maybe other companies yeah. would have done. And I just want to hear behind the scenes of like what that looked like. Yeah. Um, credit to 
Pete, our CEO, and he's been extremely protective of our company culture, right? So like we're pretty tight knit group of people. We're close, I think like 38, maybe close to 40 people. Um, when I joined, we were 10 people and it was just me and one other marketing person. And as I mentioned, like a lot of that was to keep culture tight, but also, you know, we, we tried to prioritize what we need to do and not do too much more than that. Um, one of our mission and value statements is to prioritize happiness over growth. And so when you start, when you start adding too many people, sometimes you end up literally looking for work for them to do. And then yep. you're managing all those people. And then you sort of, the business becomes about managing people, which is a part of a brand, but like more less so than the, the product. So we, we're definitely a product focused company and it's about letting the, the marketing stand on the quality of the product. And so what we've done to enable that is rely on creating a really good network of third parties. So, you know, our, our shipping is third party, our warehouses are third party. We have, we have some in-house customer service, but we have a little bit of outsourced customer service as well. Um, for marketing, you know, we, re- we rely both on my strategy and executional knowledge, but we amplify that with an external digital agency. And what that allows us to do is remain really nimble. You know, during the pandemic, we didn't have to lay off anybody. Um, we didn't make any pay cuts. We, you know, we've been profitable since day one because we haven't had to like push scaling mm-hmm. because of not having investors as well that say, we need you to make this much profit in the next five years. Yeah. That's been really stressful um, because we have been growing really quickly. But again, what it came down to is like, what's important in this moment? Like, okay, we're launching this new product. Let's put all eyes there. Let's make the right content, get it in the right place. And I think, you know, I think we're going through another little phase of, of growing pains where we now have a very large assortment of SKUs and we're feeling the pinch of trying to maintain the attention on them across the board. And then also making sure that we're supporting our retail and wholesale accounts. Half our business is, you know, from places like B&H and REI and we're distributed around the world. They need tons of content as well. They need our help on making sure the brand is represented correctly. Um, and it's becoming a lot of work and we're, we're, we've been scaling on our design and, and creative side, but there's starting to be a pinch on the more technical and stuff. So we're, we're trying to think through, does that mean a bigger agency? Do I need to start hiring more internal people? I think it's going to be a combination of the both. I think it's going to be mm-hmm. a skeleton crew internally that is really good at handling or wearing a lot of different hats, but then managing some external help as well to make sure that it sort of amplifies our abilities. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. 
So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. What's the best way to structure it when you're working with agencies to make sure that you can scale yourself? Like you said, you're kind of the one of the people who are, you know, here's the vision and okay, go. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you make sure that it scales in a way that, you know, it's not kind of totally going off course? Oh man, uh, that's a really good question. And I can't honestly say I've figured it out. You're like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not sure. I got to be honest about that. I think it's, um, I, I'm going through it right now. And I think, uh, to be quite honest, I think we, uh, I haven't been able to, you just, there's so many, there's only so many hours in a day. There honestly is that require mm-hmm. attention. And it's really hard to separate or to, to combine strategy, deep thinking and execution like you have to turn one off to do the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a hard lesson that I've learned over the last year and a half, which is I do need time to just sit and write and think while I'm not executing. And so I am really thinking about making sure I ex- um, separate those roles for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a hard question and uh, a good thing to figure out, but you have you have time, yeah. there's no rush. Yeah. What does um, like new customer acquisition look like? Mm-hmm. How are you guys approaching, you know, finding new customers and maybe keeping your current ones? Yeah. Um, so there's the classics, which we, we definitely continue to double down on, which is, a, it's funny, PR is an age old thing, but like, it's still so important and making sure that you stay just in the conversation. And mm-hmm. for me, when I'm thinking about going forward, you know, we've been so getting into the gear reviews and like, top 10 lists and I'll never trust the best of list ever again after being in the industry. Cause nope. <laughs> nope. it's not like, how much did you pay to get that spot? <laughs> or yeah. Or who do you know? Exactly. It's yeah, not like someone went looking for the best stuff and like, these is what I found. It's <laughs> no, the, all that yep. stuff was definitely put there. Um, yep. But it's, to me, it's about the conversations you're starting around your brand and the industry as well. So when it comes to our mobile product, you know, like uh, we're, we're trying to stir up the conversation of like, what what do you, what else do you do with your phone? Like, how do you use it in your daily life? Like is having just the skin on it that doesn't do anything useful because we are using it elsewhere, you know, in our car, on our desktop. So can you, do you have to just like pound people with your product or can you talk to them about it and start the conversation? Um, so that's obviously there's, where I started digital marketing and, and paper, you know, Facebook, social media advertising, Instagram, TikTok, obviously Reddit. But man, that whole industry, I think, is going through an upheaval currently, obviously, with the change in privacy and data that Facebook and Google and everybody is facing. And it's making everybody sort of rethink about how they're, they're, they're stacking that in their marketing funnel. And I think it's a good thing. I think people are starting to think about the intentions and nature of their their message in their advertising mm-hmm. again, as opposed to, oh, if we change this button to red instead of blue, like that's gonna like what what intention is that except to drive conversion? And I think people have been overthinking the data part for a really long mm-hmm. time and instead of kind of trusting your marketing instincts slash knowing that or just just not really paying attention to the marginal benefit of spending a week trying to figure out what color a button needs to be, you know, like yeah. what else could you yeah. have done with that? So, yeah. Yeah. So what are you guys doing? Cause 
I mean, I think it's such a scary world for a lot of brands who have relied on that pixel tracking and, you know, everything they've been used to. It feels like you have to kind of move quick, make decisions in an unknown world Mm -hmm. where you're like, I don't really know how this should operate. How are you guys thinking about it moving forward? Well, you can still track the classics, which are engagement. You can track and then layering in other strategies of making sure, you know, you're getting first party data. So, you know, your email capture and the campaigns you're doing with Mm -hmm. that, you know, before we could track everything, we were still trusting things like how many people are seeing it, impressions Mm -hmm. and the, the, the quality of someone's audience. So on an influencer campaign, but also again, being a part of the conversation in places like Reddit, TikTok, and making sure that that is sort of like a constant stream of content as opposed to these big advertising things where people are just blind to them now. Like I, I don't remember the last ad. I definitely learn about people or the brand. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But it's pretty rare that I click and we've seen that on Facebook's ROI and uh, every number across the board has tanked over the last few years. Um, you, used, you used to put an ad, it could have anything in it and you'd get a 10x ROI. Now we struggle to get free, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So what channels and platforms are you trying out now? Because to me, like TikTok sounds like the perfect area. I get so many photography tips on there. Absolutely. I don't know if you've seen all those videos. Yeah. I'm like, that seems like a perfect channel if you can keep that content going though. But what are you guys betting big on? Yeah, we're we're exploring TikTok. I don't know if we're betting big there because our demographic is a little bit older. I do have a theory that there's a very active demographic in, in that we're in the 25 to 40 range. Um, I think mm-hmm. people 25 to 40 are still actually really active on TikTok. They're just not. I am. Yeah, I'm slap exactly. dab in the middle. Yeah. I'm on it. But they're consumers. They're not posters and not, they're not commenters, you know, um, yeah. which yeah. is, which is fine. And yeah, I, I think that is going to be somewhere where we'll probably spend a lot of energy. We're definitely doubling down on, on content pieces like on YouTube and places again, where we can talk directly to the population Email is still a really big thing and custom, like customizing that consumer journey on how we reach them on that. So when they reach our website, what are they seeing? Where are they looking? Where are we sending them? Yeah, those are, those are big. And then I'm obviously looking at Reddit. Reddit's had a pretty big limelight over the last few months just with the yep. game stop stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I'm open to suggestions. So send them my way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard too many people talk about Reddit. Are you just thinking about kind of going after Reddit influencers in a way who are talking about, you know, what kind of bags to use and, um, or how are you thinking about that? Yeah. I think we're going to look at it from like the social media manager perspective, someone who's going to go in there and just start conversing. We, we do have, uh, especially with a gear focused product line, people are like, Oh, how, what do you use for your Canon camera? What do you use for your Nikon camera? Um, and then mm-hmm. just inserting ourselves on an organic level there. I don't know about Reddit influencers yet, but certainly something to consider. But I want to keep that as organic as possible to start up, start out with. Yeah. yeah. It always seems hard to scale those efforts when you want to go about it in an organic way, but then thinking, okay, one person can only comment and keep up with so many threads. And then if they also have to do Facebook and Instagram and yeah. everywhere else, it seems hard unless you continually like to hire more people. Yeah, the scaling part is hard. I'll be interested to see if there's ever a, a good agency that can figure out how to represent your brand well. So we know because we have <laughs> not found it. And we've tried many. I keep trying and trying. I'm like, one day we're going to find someone perfect. Same. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think there's something to the frictionless 
way of shopping on a lot of these platforms. Mm-hmm. I even think about TikTok. I'm like the quiet consumer who's mm-hmm. looking through all the stuff, enjoying it, but then I will go and open up a Chrome browser to find that product. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm the worst kind of consumer. Yeah. You have no attribution on me. You don't even know where I came from. And, yeah. But I think there's something there where it's because that platform still feels like there's a little bit of friction from going from that video. Sometimes it you know flips so quickly. I don't mm-hmm. have time to click. Is there even something to click? Seems like there's a lot of room for growth around, you know, making it easy yeah. for the customer to buy. Well, there's been a movement to do like the specific app, the app-based experience. You know, Allbirds did a really good job of it. I just downloaded the Nike app, just being like, oh, I need a new pair of, pair of shoes. And I like saw on their website, I was on my phone and then they were like, get the Nike app. And I downloaded it. I, I was, this is at the airport and I bought a pair of sneakers right there because like, I was like, those mm-hmm. are cool because they... I mean, this definitely works for someone with a much larger SKU uh, account, but like they served me a product that they thought I would like. I don't know how they figured Mm -hmm. that out, but they figured it out somehow. Maybe they just have really good products. And I was like, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And then they had everything built in, Apple Pay, all that stuff made it super easy. And it was like, it was kind of scary. It was one of those situations where I hit buy, like before I knew it, it was paid for and was shipping to me. And I was like, wait, did I mean to do that? And I, and I did. <laughs> My finger just went there and it just happened. And now I have shoes coming. Exactly. So um, I thought that was really cool and something, you know, we've done a lot of work on our mobile experience, but we have a lot of work to do. And I think people have a, most websites I go to have a big thing to figure out for the mobile experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something I've thought about for a while now, because previously at spots I've worked before, many people talked about going to like an app free world. Mm-hmm. And apps were kind of like a thing of the past. And I even kind of noticed that in my own history. It's like you get a phone early on, you get a billion apps, you run out of storage, you kind of chill out a bit. You're like, I don't need all these apps anymore. I don't want to try everything. Then storage gets easier. So then you're like, well, maybe I'll try a few more. But now I'm back in the stage where I'm like, I kind of just, I'm good with just like a couple of things. Yeah. I don't want like everything there. So how do you see it? I mean, I think you mentioned Allbirds did this too. Like, what do you see that future looking like and how should brands maybe try it out there yeah i think you know i think we're to your point we're trying to figure it out again i like that app experience for a couple reasons which was you know when you become a fanatic or just really into a brand you're okay having that because what they're all what nike and Allbirds are also doing well is serving up really good content on those apps Mm -hmm. so like i'm inclined to go into the nike app because they've got something cool to send me put me in, even if I'm not buying something, I'll go look and read about it. So that's a big play. And then to, I think what you hinted at earlier is the experiences on the other platforms, so like shopping and feed on Instagram and stuff, which is becoming a, a, a much better utilized thing. And I think we probably need to utilize, utilize a bit better as well. And there's, there's features in there, especially in influencer campaigns, where you're able to link your account to other people's Instagram accounts so that they can tag your product feed. That's interesting to me and like disseminating it in in that way. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting world to think about. And I also think if you bring in your, you know, your tribe and a community Mm -hmm. and kind of create an experience that you can't get elsewhere, then maybe I would open up the app if it wasn't just product focused. Like you said, if there's content there, if there's something that's going to draw me in and keep me engaged, but it does feel hard sometimes to keep me engaged on an app unless... I get that dopamine hit, open it up and get something new. Yeah. And 
but that's that's a high bar to have having something new every time definitely a high bar to have and then i think some casper i don't think they have an app but i've been in the market for a, a mattress man i sound like a real materialistic consumer these days but i'm just you're about to get so many ads coming your way they're going to hear you they got the voice yeah. recognition and they're going to be blasting I'm, you. Uh, I'm in the middle of trying to buy a mattress and they executed on the text game really well so we mm -hmm. do text marketing and it works really well on getting people past the last decision point so they're like i don't know if i want this size or that size uh i don't know if you talk to a lot of people but like text is great People are like, I don't want to, I don't think people want to receive text messages. Surprise, surprise. They actually do. They don't care. If you give them something they want, that's what I've heard is like text can be great if you're not just pushing products all day. And if it turns into a conversation and maybe giving them some kind of value instead of just like 10% off, 10% off, it's a sale happening. Yeah. Like it needs to feel kind of personal and give value. It does, but it's a balance, right? You, if you give them enough value and then when you need it, you can send that 10% off text. Mm -hmm. Um, it still works and that's worked really swimmingly for us, but I think the stakes are the same, if not lower, maybe, maybe they're, they're, little, they're about the same of sending an email, like just like with anything, don't overdo any piece of marketing. You'll annoy people, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's any less or more annoying than any other piece of marketing I get from people as long as it's not overdone. And Casper, if you go to their website, they just really did the text acquisition the opt-in process really well you know they're they mm -hmm. just did the 10 percent off if you sign up for the the email and they figured out a good way to do it for text as well as oh you want to get this coupon straight away uh let us text you and i thought that was cool a way of just like activating someone very quickly yeah are there any other brands that you watch where you've kind of pulled some tricks from and you're like i love watching nike i love watching casper and then actually trying that out within our own company? Um, good question. I think I've listed uh, the ones that I've noticed recently. I'm definitely all birds did a good job. I think I had a good, I'll just give you the sort of like outline of what that was where uh, I needed to return something. Well, first of all, obviously, you know, there's the way of tracking and making sure that you get you're in contact with your, what you bought and where it's coming and when it's coming, you know, that there's lots of good apps for that. We use one called ship up. And then I needed mm -hmm. to return something and, I'm forgetting the name of the service, but now they've set up places you can just return something. Instead of shipping it back, you just drop it off at the local location. It's usually a business. It's a win-win. You bring someone into your business, you can return it there. And it was seamless. And I remember in the store, the person, I think I was just in like some sort of random boutique dress store and I was returning, I don't know, like a, a blender for Amazon. Oh, that's, that's I'm making cool. those things up, but like, it was that sort yeah, of but, thing, that, that sort of contrast yeah. of what I was doing. And I remember them mm -hmm. scanning the product and then I got a notification of my, my refund directly on my phone in that second. I was like, that's awesome. Now I know when I buy from this person and I need to return, it's going to be seamless. I'm not going to worry about where my money is, where the product's going. And it made me want to make, like buy from them again. It was, it was great. Oh, that's. That's a good experience. I mean, I think that's such an important reminder too about like lifetime value of a customer. Mm -hmm. And it's not always about those quick hits. I mean, like you said, if I were to have an experience like that, I would buy many more things much more quickly. If I'm like, oh yeah, I can just go right next door and this boutique will take any of my res returns for all my blenders that yeah, I buy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. So what experimental things do you plan on doing 
over this next year or two that you're most excited about, but you don't know if it's going to work. Or maybe that your team's even telling you like, nah, Alish, like this is a bad idea. <laughs> uh, really good question. I'd have to go into my notes. I kind of ideate on this stuff a while, but you know, we, we tried some podcast stuff last year um, when, you know, money was a little bit more free flowing for us. We, we are a travel bag brand. So that's definitely taken a hit for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was exciting at the time. We had a piece on Conan O'Brien's show and I was like, Conan O'Brien said peak design. That was pretty cool. As far yeah. as I can tell, the CPMs for, for podcasts are still relatively low compared to other mm -hmm. things. So I think that's great. I think there are some expansion in still our, our email practices on how we're collecting emails and moving outside of that. The What you mentioned just now, what we talked about, the being able to shop our product in social posts that aren't even our own. There are some technologies, video technologies out there where you're shopping in video when it's paid, placed on someone else's website. I think that's really cool. And then partnering with our distributors more on, on, on how they're representing our brand and kind of getting that more up-to-date message out quicker with them. Yeah, well, I think it'll be interesting with all the pent-up demand of people wanting to travel and get out I there. So. And it'll be fun to probably see a very different peak than maybe what you've seen over the past year or so. And yeah, y'all just have to be ready for it, I yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. Well, let's jump over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Okay. Are you I'm ready? ready. <laughs> you, you're like adjusting your seat, like, oh, got to get, got to get ready for yeah, this. Ready. All right. First up, few people know that I like to. Few people know that I like to play poker. That's a good one. Are you good at uh, it? I was a professional for a year. So right after grad school, I was looking for a job and I, I played uh, live poker for a year. Yeah. Awesome. What one thing do you not understand that you wish you did? Oh, man. Yeah, I guess. I mean, just topic of the, the times right now is definitely the Bitcoin market and the different types mm -hmm. and where give me a glass ball of where that's going because I want in. I think I, I every yeah. time I think I've figured it out, I, I learn something new and I don't. So like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to understand the future of the economics of how that's going to work. Oh, that's, if you were in the Austin area, I would tell you to come to our little crypto dinner that we do where we kind of go deep into futures and investing in that. And it's a very interesting space. Okay. So I will, I'll, if you're I'll, around the area. I'll come visit sometime <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that sounds good. A time when I made a powerful choice was when, what? I've, I've quit a lot of jobs and like taken that chance on myself and I did that when my last corporate job, if you will, I worked for American Express and I said, I'm just going to go figure it out. And I've never looked back. And I think, you know, I know that's a common story, especially in, in our worlds, but that was the most freeing choice I've ever made. It's just, I will never work for a large corporation where I can't be in control of my destiny. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I agree. I think it's still always a good reminder though, because it's easy to get pulled in and uh, yeah, good reminder to be able to have that freedom to do what you want. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? Um, it would be something about just the, the kind of like hilarity of the world, how it intersects, like just how we all take ourselves so seriously, but then trying to 
trying to basically pull back the layers of the onion on that and then looking at how it's affected us as people when it comes to our depression, our nutrition, and like how we live our lives. So it's like basically all the woo-woo things that you could think about for the millennial generation and uh, make fun of it, but in a serious enough way to be like, it's going to be okay, man. You know, people, I think we all get so caught up in like, what are, how am I changing the world? What are we doing? And I, I think the message I'd like to tell most people is like, this is the message of the movie uh, soul. Have you, did you see soul? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, yep. so like, good. Oh man, I'm trying to do something big. And it's like, actually you're doing the big thing. This is it. Yeah. I like yeah. that. So who would your guest be then? I, I think going back to Conan O'Brien, I think I love Conan. He's, he's one of the funniest people out there. And I think he went through this crazy arc where like he was supposed to take Jay Leno's spot and then they took it away from him. And then he like had to like, he got pretty angry about it. And now he's still doing his own thing. And I'd love to talk to him about like, I people have talked to him about that, but you know, where he saw, thought he saw himself going and now where he is now and if he's okay with it. And it's just like, what perspective did it give him? Yeah. Oh, I love that. That'd be a good one. All right. And the last one, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? The, the climate and, and how we think about people and consumption and, you know, fast fashion is going out of fashion. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I hope anyway, but I actually don't know that because I don't know if I'm just in a bubble or I'm just in a bubble of people that care. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. And- a lot of people, there's such a big shift now to sustainability and how companies are creating things and paying their employees and all that. Yeah. So I agree that that was a good forcing function this past year or two to kind of think differently about all Absolutely. that. Well, Alish, it's been such a fun interview. Thanks for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about you and Peak Design? Uh, peakdesign.com. And I, I just have like a contact button up, but you can go to alishpatel.com and email me if you have any questions. Amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a blast. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.